Welcome to the So Lux Life Podcast, where our goal is to enhance the mental, physical, and spiritual luxuries in life. Make your life luxurious through knowledge, coaching, training, and technique. Visit us online at soulluxlife.com. Here's your host, Crispin J. Watson. Hello, and welcome to the Soul Lux Life Podcast, where our goal is to enhance the mental, physical, and spiritual luxuries in life. And as you know, we've been doing our domestic violence awareness series this month, in the month of October, because I am a previous victim, and I know there are many, many women out there suffering with similar issues or they know someone or someone in their family or someone in someone's past so it's a common issue and today i've brought on dr alicia harris she is personally my cousin but she is also so amazing she earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from temple university in philadelphia pennsylvania she went on to earn her master's degree in mental health counseling and her doctorate in counseling psychology from boston college her clinical interests include working with adjustment issues depression anxiety trauma interpersonal issues and racial identity development. Her therapeutic approach is guided by a multicultural framework in her leisure time. Dr. Harris enjoys reading, listening to podcasts, spending time with family, and discovering new foods. How are you, Alicia? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. This is such a great opportunity. Thanks for coming on. And I thought this moment would be perfect. I should have reached out to you earlier, but you know, life me you know how it goes so i thank alicia for doing this kind of last minute for me she is so busy because she does so much she's a professor and i'm gonna let alicia tell you all about her because nobody knows you better than you yes well um during the day i am a therapist um uh, to college students um, at Kennesaw State University, as well as I teach at Georgia State University adjunct, um, as well as I do some private practice on the weekends too. Um, and so that's pretty much what I do. Now, what I love is some Beyonce, my family, <laughs> my food, yes. all that good stuff. <laughs> So I love it. And what kind of got you interested in psychology? Um, That is a very interesting story. So like my grandma swears until this day that I said I wanted to be a psychologist around when I was like seven years old. (laughs) She was like, you don't even know how to spell psychologist, but okay. (laughs) Um, And um, when I was an undergrad, Um, I started taking some psychology classes and became very interested in it. And then from there, I knew that if I majored in psychology, I would need to get a master's in order to do the actual counseling part. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I applied to the master's program and that program really changed my life in terms of it opened up more doors. I was exposed to really great professors and mentors that I'm still in contact with today. Um, And it was just a really life-changing moment in that way oh I love it and I love it sounds like you really have a passion for it so it's something that you really enjoy doing yeah and like most you know you were I was always the friend that people came to talk to or to share their problems with and so most psychologists and counselors have that similar experience as well 
Oh, it's just like a natural thing. So, see, that's how I know I'm not supposed to be a psychologist. <laughs> People don't really come to me about their problems. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, and what I love most about it, um, honestly, in our community, I would say my community, Mississippi, let's say like a southern small town, such as Grenada and things like that, we don't really see many psychologists and it's not normal for, for people to really see one. So how important would you say it is for people to actually see psychologists? And I'm, I'm going to get to the domestic violence portion of it, but just like in general, um, compared to the, to the number of people that aren't, how important would you say that it is people see a psychologist like on a regular or just when they have a problem? I would say it's it's very important. I think it's, um, you know, mental health is very stigmatized in Black communities, period, and understandably so in terms of kind of having limited therapists that look like you who can understand your experience. And so now since the field is growing and expanding, um, there's more opportunities in which people can access therapy, uh, whether it's like online or through text or however you need to, uh, there's different ways in which to access it. And in terms of, I think one of the things is people have a misconception about when they need to see therapy. It's almost like I need something extremely traumatic to happen to me in order for me to seek a therapist. And that is not the case. Um, sometimes it could be going through a, a life transition um, if someone has moved to a different area and is having trouble feeling connected and experiencing some self-doubt, that would be a time to seek a therapist. Um, wow. If you recently retired and is trying to figure out, like, how do I adjust to this new life? Um, when I was a part of, like, a corporate world in which I was always constantly connected to someone. Or if it's just more so um, kind of just regular life issues from breakups to uh, financial concerns that you may have in or, and to just everyday anxiety. Like how do I manage the anxiety that I may feel as I kind of go through this life experience? Wow. Amazing. Cause I was one that before I had knowledge on it, I was thinking like, okay, you really don't need to see a psychologist unless something, you know, traumatic really happens in your life. And that's kind of when I really started seeing one. Mm -hmm. But um, honestly, if I could go back, I would have seen one a long, long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. Just because. They're just so amazing. You you all are so amazing. I love what you all do for society. <laughs> but in regards to domestic violence, a lot of women that I've spoken to or I've heard their testimony, their story, their journey through domestic violence, a lot of them say that they suffer with PTSD. And that's one I really wasn't expecting because when you think about that, automatically my mind goes to thinking like, you know, the army and seeing people mm -hmm. get killed you know, I'm having a reaction of that. But a lot of women suffer with it from domestic violence. So how would one identify that they have PTSD after an episode of domestic violence? Um, if they are no longer in that unhealthy relationship or environment, um, one would be kind of 
experiencing intense anxiety or hypervigilance around, um, let's say, about making mistakes. Uh, let's say you uh, accidentally forgot something or you dropped something and you're kind of waiting for someone to reprimand you. Um, mm -hmm. That would be kind of a, a warning sign around the domestic violence piece. Um, also, if there's any significant changes in your appetite or sleeping habits, are you having nightmares? Are you um, having difficulty sleeping throughout the night? Uh, has your appetite significantly decreased or increased? Um, also, if your mood has shifted, if you um, have are noticing that you're experiencing some symptoms of depression because you have formed this bond with um, a, an abuser. And so the most difficult part is trying to form healthy relationships afterwards. And so a lot of times what um, you may hear of like people getting into another domestic violence relationship after they've already been in one and people will be like, oh, why did you do that? Or how did this happen? And it's because there's a bond, a trauma bond that has actually been formed there. And so the things that um, have actually been harmful to you initially may seem like, oh, this is familiar. And so they may actually seek it out or may ignore a warning sign of some sort. Wow. So it kind of becomes like a comfort zone. In a exactly. Sense. Exactly. Oh. I'm out here taking notes. <laughs> I'm taking notes, Dr. Harris. Um, and so um, do you think that an episode of domestic violence is something that one can actually get over? Because a lot of women say like this, I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups on any issue, but one group I'm in is about domestic violence. And a lot of people really go through a lot of things. And a lot of women say like, I keep thinking about him, although he hurt me so bad, I keep making excuses for him. So why, why do you feel like we as women sometimes make excuses for men when they harm us or do or do things that that we don't like well it's a more complex than that it's it's um it is a piece of codependency there's mm -hmm. a piece of survival um in regards to is this person providing financial support to you you know are they providing a place for you to live mm -hmm. um and are you able to uh, support yourself? Um, and then there's also the piece of just lack of self-love as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because the cycle of abuse is um, very impactful for people. You know, it's one in which there's this reconciliation period that happens that like, oh, we're good now. So things are good. So when the next thing happens, people will reflect on those good moments as being like, oh, they, we can get back here. Mm -hmm. um, and there's that hope that's there. It's that hope of holding on to thinking that they can change. Or exactly. And that, mm -hmm. and I don't want to abandon them, right? Like we have, I know who this person is and I know who they were when we first met. And I'm pretty sure that I can help them get back there. So do you think it's ever possible for them to get back there? Um, only if the partner is aware of the issues that they have. 
um, and are willing to work on them and get therapy and help themselves. Um, without that process, then no, it cannot be a one-sided um, task at all. The first step is admitting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And- Not only admitting, but also recognizing that uh, I need assistance with mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Being open to the help. Right. Mm. So do you think people that are abusers, both men and women, but particularly men, do you think sometimes it may be like a form of embarrassment for them to really admit that they have a problem? Or do you think some men just think there is no problem, like what they're doing is okay? Well, we have to kind of look at like, how did this behavior start it? Like, uh, what relationships did they see modeled for them? Was there a healthy relationship modeled? Is this how they see that bonds were made in their family? Because it may seem very healthy for some. And so that realization that, hey, this is not how relationships work. This is not healthy for my family or myself. Um, that may take some time to do. Mm. So on average, a, a guy that grows up saying, his mom getting abused, like seeing his dad abuse his mom, do you think he's more likely to grow up hitting women, although he sees the hurt that is causing his mom? Well, I think it's so many other factors that plays into that. Like, was that person able to develop a a positive self-esteem? Were they able to see other positive relationships around them? And this was the only unhealthy one. There's just so many other factors that contribute that it's hard to say like, oh, if you're, if you've seen your parents fight, then that means you're going to do the same thing. And Mm -hmm. it's like, "Mm, that may, that's not necessarily the case. There's just so many other things that contribute to a person um, being an abuser. And part of that could be personality disorders and other mental health issues. It could be substance use that's involved in that as well. Mm -hmm. And we can't forget their own trauma. You know, their trauma response is, you know, I need to hurt someone, you know, so misery loves misery company. So if I'm miserable, I need to create that misery for other people as well. And some people just choose to do it physically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you said the hardest part about a domestic violence situation is forming relationships afterwards. Mm-hmm. So to any women that are out there listening, and you know, you may be recently involved in one or it may have happened two years ago, but you just really haven't moved on and been able to trust a guy like you flinch and you're just on edge. What are some tips to a woman out there that's really trying to move on and form a healthy relationship after being a victim of of abuse? Definitely paying uh, paying attention to the warning signs of red flags. So if anyone, you know, is immediately showering you with love and affection, and it's only like date two, um, that's a pretty big warning sign. Like you (laughs) don't even know what foods I'm allergic to. So why are you all of a sudden showering me with so much love and so much physical affection? Um, It just doesn't add up, right? Uh Like we don't know each other. Um, 
Also, if there's a um, professing undying devotion or seeking commitment very early on. So kind of wanting to move in together very early or even talking about marriage um, mm -hmm. significantly early in a relationship. Paying attention to whether or not they have a sense of integrity, like can they keep their own word? Um, so if someone is saying, hey, you know, I'm going to meet you at five o'clock on Saturday um, to like pick you up from work or whatever, and the person never shows, you know, they're consistently making these promises, but never keeps their word. Mm. Um, also, if the person is impulsive, um, and, and impulsive can be with money, substances, or just even impulsive in their decision making. Like, it may seem exciting if someone's like spontaneous, like, hey, let's just go over here. Or, hey, let's just do that. But if it becomes a like a problem in terms of it's interrupting what is already planned, um, consistently, then that could be a warning sign as well. Pay attention to the mm -hmm. warning signs. <laughs> also, if they're how they talk about their past relationships, I think, um, especially with dating early on, you need to be asking, like, how did you? How are they talking about them? Is it all of the ex's fault? Are they labeling them as crazy? Are they uh -huh. speaking to them with like this anger that's still very present? Um, and that can show that there's it hasn't been healing from that or any growth. Wow. Definitely. Like I said, I'm over here taking notes because <laughs> I'm going to have to start screening these men out here. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I really am. And, and what what's crazy is that so many women are suffering from abuse and don't even know it. Because the first thing when people think about when it comes to domestic violence or domestic abuse or things like that are, are like physical encounters. But financial abuse <laughs> is a real thing. And how can you identify if you're being financially abused in a relationship? Like if you trust your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, and, you know, he, he's basically trying to make it seem like I'll, I'll just handle the finances. But at what point are you being financially abused? You know, it's 2019. <laughs> and you need to know all of the info. There's no, like, I think any healthy relationship needs to be very transparent when we're talking about finances. I think there needs to be separate accounts as well as joint accounts. Um, Ooh, say as well that again. <laughs> understanding what money is coming in and what money is going out. Um, I think it's healthy for people to have their own um, allowances and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, but if you don't know what income is coming into your household, that is a big problem. Ooh, that's a big no-no. So do you think it's a form of financial abuse when husbands put their wives on allowances? Like I've heard of when like this really like a woman, she works a full-time job, has a degree, I don't, maybe even a master's, but works a full-time job. But her check is automatically deposited into her husband's account. And he gives her $100 out of her money every month. That's her allowance and that's it. So she has to get like tampons out of that, makeup, whatever. Personal she wants, $100. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I would even say it's more than financial abuse because then we have like a power imbalance happening in the relationship. There's a much more than the financial abuse that has taken place before you can even get to that point. So for someone to actually get to a place where you have put in your 40 hours a week and they are issuing out your own money and you are not doing that, something else was happening way before then to get to that point. Oh, so, um, so I would say it's it's more than the financial abuse that's taking place. There's other abuse happening probably in that household as well that would um, lead to a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And we also have to be aware that some women are perfectly fine with that. Mm-hmm. That is just their, their lifestyle and that choice. And so if you're um, actively choosing like, hey, this is what I want, that is one thing versus someone having the control over the finances and you can't get any additional money out when you need it for emergencies or, or whenever. Right. It's like money you earn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well. Wow. So that power imbalance. So you think that that plays a role in someone becoming an abuser? Like, is that a form of power that I feel like they have? Yeah, I I think we can't ignore um, how much uh, gender roles play into the power imbalance that happens. You know, there was a a time where men were the only ones going out, making the money and bringing it home. Um, But now we're in a time where, you know, dual income households are now a necessity. And so a lot of couples are trying to manage this and they haven't seen it modeled for them before because there was only one parent that was working or it was a single parent household. And so now you're in this position where you're trying to figure out how can we make this work for each of us? Oh, wow. We'll go, we'll move on to some of the, um, the effects that violence has against women. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people suffer with the anxiety and the depression. And if someone really doesn't want to get on medication, what are some things that they could do at home or like some mechanisms, some mechanisms they can execute um, outside of getting pharmaceutical help? Well, therapy is number one. Um, I think having a space where you can either participate in group therapy, uh, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that are out there. Um, you can either go into the National Domestic Violence um, website. Um, they can direct you to different groups that are available where you can talk and express how you're feeling with other um, survivors. Um, also, journaling is a really great place to start. If you're in a position where, for whatever reason, therapy is not available to you at this moment, mm-hmm. um, ex- getting, having a space where you can get those feelings out. So writing them down is a great way to do that and creating that consistent routine for yourself so that you can have that space where you can um, express what you've been feeling. I love it, journaling. Mm-hmm. I journal now, but 
I feel like I can go deeper with it. Do you journal? Yes, I do. Do you do it daily? Or how often do you journal? Um, so with me, I try not to do anything that's too rigid. So it's more so <laughs> like, okay, we'll try once a week. Uh, if not, we're going to just do it when I feel like, okay, I need to get this out of my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that may even be at work. Like I have like a notepad and I'd be like, okay, this is stuck in my brain right now. I need to get this out. And by writing it out or and tearing it up afterwards can be really therapeutic. It's like, okay, whew. I'm done with that exactly Uh, I'm gonna have to try that definitely Mm -hmm. and And, uh, oh sorry oh go ahead I was gonna say that's the thing with journaling is you want to be as flexible as you can um, and not create these rigid guidelines for yourself of like five days a week and then you don't do it and then that just creates this cycle of like not holding up to commitment it's right and then you're stressed about it and oh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you want it to be accountable <laughs> right you want it to be a, a form of self-care and not a form of like self-criticism oh yeah oh i love that you said that because i can be bad on myself like i can't even do this like write in my journal every day but i know life gets busy and when i was doing some research on domestic violence and the topic and everything and they say that uh, um, sexual violence interferes with women um, going to work and working and things like that mm-hmm. so um, why would you say that is what it why do you why do you feel like it would affect someone at work is it just like the ability to not be able to focus or they're thinking about what happened or what effect does that have on the workplace Well, um, a couple of things. One, probably most people at your work don't know what is happening. Mm -hmm. So the person that you're trying to portray to be, you're wearing this mask at work. And that mask can be very difficult to carry around. Um, And so that creates like difficulty concentrating. You may not feel like you're being authentic with other people. So the relationships and the work relationships that you have may feel fake. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, there's an authority figure, unless you're the boss of yourself, you most likely are reporting to someone, um, and that can create a, a dynamic that may feel too overwhelming, um, depending on the nature of their abusive relationship that they were in. Wow. So, you know, ladies, if you can, don't, don't be afraid to take those mental health days. So often we end up putting our jobs before our own health and we have to stop doing that because your job will replace you <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. So wanting to take some time, I think the, the best thing that we can do, which is probably the hardest thing that we can do is take some days off. You know, whether it's one day a week, one day a month, but planning something intentional for you to get that break for yourself. Um, If that's not possible, then figuring out, like, can I take a half day? Can I work on a different type of project where I can maybe have some time to myself? Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to be strategic with how can you experience some relief while you're at work, too. Yes, because work can already be stressful. 
Mm -hmm. Like you said, trying to walk around and, you know, paint a smile that everything is okay. But on the inside, you have a whole different world of things going on in your personal life. That can be a lot. Um, So what, what are some ways to help to help a woman find balance or not just a woman to help a victim find balance and to really get their mind off of the attack and off of what happened? Well, I think first and foremost, establishing safety for themselves. Um, If they're currently still in that relationship, it's going to be pretty hard to have that balance there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that may mean uh, leaving the environment um, if you can, to stay with a relative or a close friend or to one of the shelter, local shelters that are available for domestic violence um, survivors. Uh, so the very first thing is definitely establishing a sense of safety. From there, um, starting to do the work, the hard work of getting engaged in therapy to help, uh, to help the rebuilding process because part of the rebuilding process is being able to recognize those warning signs for yourself um, in a potential partner and also being able to recognize the warning signs within yourself in terms of like, am I attracted to this person because they seem, um, they live on the edge. (laughs) Are they doing the same qualities that my last partner did? Is it because it feels familiar even though it's unhealthy? Mm. So do would would you put a time frame on when one should get back into a relationship after being in an in an abusive one? Like how long would you take that rebuilding process? Um how long how long does it take to really rebuild and put yourself back out there? Um, Well, it's hard to put a timeline on it because of the different natures of abuse. I think so far we've talked about like the physical abuse, the financial abuse, um, Mm -hmm. the emotional abuse, but also the the healing that it takes. um, We don't know what the other contributing factors are. Like, did the, does, was there family members who were aware of it and didn't say anything? You know, that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother piece that you have to heal from. Um, And and allowing yourself just to take some time, you know, I think the the hardest thing is to put a timeline on it because there really isn't one. Oh, wow. There's not a timeline on it. Okay, and for kids, I've noticed that some kids that tend to act out, um, they are experiencing trauma in the household. They might see domestic violence abuse within the home um so what type of effect would you say a domestic violence relationship has on kids within the household how how will this start to affect a child like in school and in life growing up Mm -hmm. um Definitely acting out is a um, one sign, but you also may see kids maybe become more shy and reserved um, because they're mm-hmm. afraid to maybe have interactions with others. Um, you may see, depending on how old they are, an uh, increase in substance use um, or a detachment just from anything that they used to enjoy. 
Um, so say like a kid uh, loves Power Rangers and then all of a sudden they don't love Power Rangers anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, those things can be a sign. Also, if there's um, bedwetting comes or if the kid is starting to have trouble controlling um, uh, bowel movements and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, those are also warning signs. If they're not eating um, as much or they're coming in and you know this was a student who was super engaged and now they're not oh wow okay so why do you feel like women tend to blame themselves um when they are a victim in, a, in an abusive relationship well i think it's because the question that gets asked to them repeatedly after they've survived the relationship is why didn't you leave the first time Right. And the first time is usually a shock, right? This person has been charming. This person has been caring. Um, they have been providing for me. I have experienced the love that I've never experienced before. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's this other part of them. And this, there's this piece of wanting to forgive as well as see the other person as human, right? Like, oh, they made a mistake. Uh, it's not their fault. Um, you know, I could get just as angry as well. Um, and then that just starts the cycle over again. And so as you're reflecting back on it, it becomes, um, those questions start to stick of like, huh, well, why didn't I leave? And, and starting to explore that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think self-reflection is very, very important. But I also think that sometimes people take on responsibility that doesn't belong to them. Oh, yes, that's deep. That's very deep. And that initial shock, um, that's one thing that I've heard repeated when speaking with these type of victims. They say like, oh, he didn't mean to do it. He's sorry. Um, and really kind of block out what happened in their heads. But I mean, ladies, you just have to be aware. It is not okay. It's never okay for a man or anyone to put their hands on you in a way to harm you or make you feel less than. Um, But I also think there's a piece again, I think that's, you know, the taking on the responsibility, right? Like we wouldn't be in this situation if someone wasn't putting hands on someone that they're supposed to right (laughs) and so it's like yes you could easily say leave immediately Mm. but that immediately is so hard when it's the first time because like I said you can reflect on all of the good times beforehand and be like you know we were together for three years and none of this this never happened before so I'm going to leave him over this one incident and it'd be like well yeah but it's not that easy though no it's not because i mean you really have to make a plan and a lot of people don't have anywhere to go they can't just pick up their kids and pack their things and just leave it's really not that easy for some people but there are resources out there there are shelters 
try to reach out to family and friends. I know a lot of women said that when they were abused, they they didn't tell their family, they didn't tell friends. How what would you say to a young woman struggling with that, struggling with feeling embarrassed, maybe if she speaks out and tells someone what's really going on? Well, I think it's really hard to speak out, especially if you don't necessarily have healthy relationships in your life. Like um, we may be assuming that the only unhealthy relationship a person has is this romantic one, but they could be having toxic friendships and work relationships as well. Mm-hmm. And so they may not actually have someone to reach out to. And for the ones that do, it's a very tricky, slippery slope because mm-hmm. once you initially tell someone, then they're going to, of course, be like, you need to leave, you need to leave, you need to leave. And then it becomes this piece of, you know, I'm, I don't want her to come to me anymore because I already know like she's not going to leave them. And I remember what he did. Um, so the people outside of your relationship doesn't don't have amnesia, whereas the ones within they the relationship don't forget. Do. Like if you <laughs> really want to leave someone, break up with this guy, just tell your family what's going on. <laughs> if you really want your relationship to, you know, be up, because your family's never gonna forget what that person did to you. No, they never you forget. might forgive them, but no, <laughs> nope. Um, and so that becomes difficult, right? Because it's, there's this peace and hope that, okay, you know, uh, he will get the help or she will get the help, um, or, you know, we can fix this. And if we do, then we're faced with family, you know, <laughs> and going to have their opinions about it and, and et cetera. <laughs> oh, once you get your family in it's no going back, people. <laughs> no going back. We don't have amnesia. Show up at the family reunion, a whole family yeah. looking at person, Craig. Yeah, exactly. Like, why is he here? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But just love yourself. Love yourself first. Sometimes we as women, we can forget to do that, but, you know, it's never your fault. Um... And going back to, like, women blaming themselves. And I've seen women say, okay, well, I I hate him first. He would have never put me in the hospital had I not, you know, touched him first. What what is your thought on that? Well, I think there's the the relationship was healthy, unhealthy before that. (laughs) Um, so the way that they were their communication style um, clearly was not healthy Um, the way that they can their emotional they were emotionally immature Mm -hmm. Um, and so that creates a lot for chaos to happen and so it's kind of like if we, we teach our kids how to do like brush their teeth and put their clothes on but we don't teach them what to do with their feelings. Mm-hmm. And so if a child is experiencing anger or sadness, especially if they're very young, they're going to have a tantrum because they don't even know what to do with all of these feelings. They could just be hungry, but it's a, on the outside of it, it looks like a tantrum. And so what happens is if we don't 
tell them how to communicate like here if you are hungry this is what you do or if you are feeling sad let's talk about this and make some room for it and some space for it um, rather than consistently reprimanding them in a way that shuts them down and so when this person becomes an adult and they experience sadness or anger or frustration they're going to resort to the, what they know which is like having an adult-like tantrum Ooh, I like that. I'm going to have to have you back on here. (laughs) (laughs) For real, Dr. Harris, you are deep. And that kind of really sums up the questions I have regarding the psychological effects of domestic violence. Is there anything else you would like to add or say to the women out there or and men? Well, let me leave anyone out that's dealing with domestic violence. Um, very first thing is to, again, establish a sense of safety for yourself. Um, whatever that means in terms of if that means removing yourself from that environment, um, creating a routine where you can get some reprieve from an abusive partner, um, going to a shelter, going to family or friends, um, because without that sense of safety, um, progression can't happen in a way that could be really productive. So please, please go get yourself safe first. Go be safe, ladies. We love you. <laughs> and thank you so much, Alicia, for coming. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Dr. Harris. I'm so used to calling her Alicia. Was like, okay, we're cousins. You gonna put my government name out there. I know, right? It's Dr. Harris. <laughs> and um we're so happy you came on um how can people connect with you if someone heard you and you know they're in the area and they're like hey i have to book her to be my my psychologist how can i reach you um well they can reach me on psychology today you can look me up by my name um and you can find my profile there um and that would have all of the information that you would need. And there you have it, people, Dr. Alicia Harris. Thank you so much for joining the So Luck Side podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.